Michael Wolff's book, much of which has not been confirmed by NBC News, alleges that senior staffers at the White House have low opinions of the president's intelligence. Quote, Trump didn't read. He didn't really even skim. If it was print, it might as well not exist. Some believed that for all practical purposes, he was no more than semi-literate. For Steve Mnuchin and Reince Priebus, he was an idiot. For Gary Cohn, he was dumb as blank. For H.R. McMaster, it, he was a dope. And the list went on. Wolf also writes this, quote, in April, an email originally copied to more than a dozen people went into far wider circulation when it was forwarded and re-forwarded, purporting to represent the views of Gary Cohn and quite succinctly summarizing the appalled sense in much of the White House. This is what the email said, quote, it's worse than you can imagine. An idiot surrounded by clowns. Trump won't read anything, not one-page memos, not the brief policy papers, nothing. He gets up halfway through meetings with world leaders because he's bored, and his staff is no better. Kushner is an entitled baby who knows nothing. Bannon is an arrogant expletive who thinks he's smarter than he is. Trump is less a person than a collection of terrible traits. No one will survive the first year but his family. I hate the work, but I feel I need to stay because I'm the only person there with a clue what he's doing. The reason so few jobs have been filled is that they only accept people who pass ridiculous purity tests, even for mid-level policymaking jobs, where the people will never see the light of day. I am in a constant state of shock and horror. A senior White House official tells NBC News that Cohn never wrote such an email and claims about his thinking in the book are 100% untrue. We could have easily had that happening all over again, going into a second Trump term. And although we are not, as a matter of fact, we're getting a whole new president, the things that empowered this president, the things that got him there, the things that held him there, all of those things still exist and only in slightly, slightly smaller numbers. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the fire you can't put out. My name is Melvin. I want to thank you so much for being here. So when I decide to join a protest... More often than not, it is to protest something that affects people that are not me, are not like me. Uh, protesting for women's rights, protesting uh, for uh, African Americans, you know, protesting for uh, Latino rights. Um, I'm absolutely, any day of the week, will protest for my fellow human beings. And why? I will protest to see... Uh, or to try to ensure that our voices are heard so that they can be equally represented and so that they are not judged based on the color of their skin. I protest for people. And I think a lot of us do as progressives. Now, of course, let's put that next to the protests that are happening now by the QAnon folks who are protesting for privilege. Let me explain. The idea that Donald Trump could lose 
when you are one of these QAnon people, when you're one of these Trump people, when you're one of these white supremacists, when you see that a majority of the country is white, you don't understand how it's possible that you lost. And that's the narrow little world that you live in. And they're out protesting right now saying it's impossible that he lost because my white world is full of other white and we all did the same white, white thing together. They absolutely cannot fathom the fact that not everybody is like them. I, I talked about this a little bit last week. These are, the, these are the tight little bubbles that we create. But I just want you to put those side by side. If I'm out protesting, and I didn't protest after the 2016 election. It's pointless. You know, but I very much supported the women's march that, was, that would happen in D.C. every year because of the way that this particular president went, uh, went up against women. If I could have flown to D.C., I would have, I would have definitely been there. Been marching with those women, pussy hat and all. Out there marching for other people. Not protesting because my white privilege has been injured. The numbers are all in after the last election. And we know now how a lot of our fellow Americans voted. And we've got a pretty good reason about why they voted the way that they voted. And the thing that was uh, interesting to me and I saw and I would encourage you to see Fareed Zakaria's take on the minority vote. There's an interesting map going around, or series of maps that's going around. And, and, and it shows, you know, the, the blue and red map for the Electoral College. And it says, if only white women voted, here's what the map would have looked like. If only white men voted, here's what the map would look like. If only African Americans voted, it takes all these groups. If only white men had voted, I think Donald Trump would have won all 50 states. All 50 states. Why? Because those are his people. White men are his people. And he speaks to their privilege. If white women, white women, if white women only had voted for Donald Trump, I think he would have won like 45 or 47 out of 50 states. So right away, we got a white problem, white people, white people are a problem. <laughs> and then you look at the minority vote. If, if African-Americans, if only African-Americans had voted, well, then the map flips in the other direction. If only Latinos had voted, there's a, I wouldn't say an even split. Trump still loses, but not by much. And I found this interesting because, uh, and, and no matter how, uh, no matter how, minorities conduct themselves. If you're African-American, if you're Latino, if you're Asian, um, I as a white male with white male privilege, I am always going to defend your right for equal treatment, not special treatment, but I'm always going to defend your right for equal treatment. That makes sense to me. I think it's wrong for us to judge one another by the color of our skin. But there's, a, there's an issue. 
See, when Vareed Zakaria was talking this morning, he, he said something that stuck with me, and he said some of the most racist people that I know, and this is him talking, I'm paraphrasing, he said some of the most racist people that he knows are minorities. And that hit different. Uh, my ears perked up. Now, I don't watch the entirety of Fareed Zakaria's show, which is called GPS, and it's on CNN, and it's the Global Public Square. But if nothing else, I catch his monologue at the beginning. Easily. Easily, the monologue is the best part of the show. After that, it kind of turns into a panel. You know how I feel about panels. I do not think that they are great news. I don't think that they're good journalism. I don't even think they make for great TV. Maybe they're entertaining to somebody. They're not entertaining to me. I hate the panels. But I always watch those the, the opening monologue. Best part of his show. And he said some of the most racist people he knows are minorities. Huh. And then he goes on to point out the numbers that Trump got in the election. 12% of the African American vote. Now I've got any number of different ideas how he got such a large number of African Americans. Uh, obviously the Democrats have courted African Americans for a long time, but in my belief, the Republicans want to destroy the country more than Democrats want to build the country. Does that make, does that make sense? I, I apologize if it doesn't. Democrats will get in with the best of intentions, but those intentions don't always play out very well because Democrats seem to go in there with this idea that Republicans are patriots and they want to work with them. And that's insane because they do not want to work with them. But then the Democrats will often go along. Okay, all right, let's compromise. Let's compromise here. Let's compromise there. And before you know it, uh, you've given the, con the conservatives an inch and they've taken a mile. And then you as the Democratic candidate pay for it in the next election. And so with that kind of a track record, I can see how Democrats are beginning to lose minorities. 26%. Trump got 26% of the Latino vote. And I've got a number that's even worse than that. Just give me a minute. And with that, a lot of people go, oh, well, they're, well, they're, that's a deeply religious community. That's, there's a lot of Catholics in that community. Well, the slogans that get thrown around every four years when we when we have a presidential election, we, they talk a lot about abortion, right? And they talk a lot about th their love for their holy books and their Lord. But if you watch the way that conservative congressmen and women, conservative presidents conduct themselves, it doesn't comport even a little tiny bit with Christianity. The things that Trump has done, the things that the conservatives in Congress have done, the things that Mitch McConnell pushes for as the head of the Senate and will likely continue to push for 
uh, after the January 5th election, whether he whether he gets his Senate majority or not. Uh, zero. Absolutely zero of those things will actually comport with actual Christianity. And that's always been the way that, it, that it's been. So the folks that say, well, they're voting for them because they're religion, they're religious, uh, and, and they're, they care about abortion and, and all this other stuff. It would be nice if these folks would watch what they do all four years and not just sort of show up. At, during the presidential election, paying attention, like most people don't pay attention to the presidential election until six weeks before the election. Th- th- there there might have been an exception this year, but I don't think so. And the fact that he got such high numbers. Now, as I mentioned, it gets worse. Muslims. What percentage of the Muslim vote do you think he got? One, two, three. It's actually larger than single digits. And it's more than 10. It's also more than 20. It's more than 30. It's 35. 35% of the Muslim vote. And this was a guy whose idea as a candidate which was seen as so toxic that there were people inside the conservative movement saying we cannot go to the general election in 2016 with Donald J. Trump because we will lose everything. Why? Because he talked about keeping Muslim people out of the country, like kicking people out based on a religious test. Now, eventually he called it the travel ban, but its first name... And its intention all the way up until now was to ban people based on their religion, which is not Christianity, which is Muslim. And he got 35% of the vote. So, what was the larger point? Well, the old slogan is probably still true. It's the economy. It's the economy, stupid. Folks did do well. The economy has gotten progressively better since 2009 uh, when Barack Obama came in as president. We were hemorrhaging half a million jobs a month and or 700,000 jobs a month, I think it was. And within about a year, we were uh, we were a net gain and we've been effectively a net gain ever since all the way up until all the way up until COVID hit. Now, there's any number of reasons why that's happening. Uh, The economy is not good. There are holes being punched in the economy. We are taking on water right now and we are sinking. But that was true, I think, even before Donald Trump became president. But we're doing all kinds of things to patch up that boat. But Fareed says you can't treat them like a monolith. You can't treat minorities like a monolith. I don't want to say that's unfortunate because we don't necessarily need to have some sort of a, a magic answer for, for how to handle this. But the fact that other folks, whether you're black, Latino, Asian, Muslim, when you're able to look at somebody 
who who openly espouses white supremacy and and brags about about sexually assaulting women and wants religious based means tests and put children in cages and was building concentration camps and even talked about at one time using a heat ray to burn the people, to burn the Latin people that were coming into the country. He wanted to use a heat ray and the military went, what the F is wrong with you, sir? And yes, it's true. Donald J. Trump lost the election and lost it quite handily. But he got more votes than any person running for re-election ever. But the person who got more votes than even that is, is, is Biden. Um, it's a victory this time, but it's small and it's flimsy. And there is a whole hell of a lot of work to do. And I've learned a lot. I've learned that simply uh, not not being racist, wanting people to be judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin, kindness, love, charity, help, hope, humanity, all of the things that I thought drove other people, I have been awakened to post-election. There's an awful lot of parties going on right now for, for Joe Biden. And all, and all the goodness that we are just hoping will happen. And, and the, the Biden cabinet's coming together like the United Colors of Benetton. It's just a rainbow. You know, it's gay people, it's straight people, it's black people, it's, it's Latino people, it's Asian people. And it's just, and there's a lot of firsts happening in, inside of his administration. And it's this, it's this big, progressive, woo-hoo party where everybody's just throwing their hands up waiting for the beat to drop, throwing back the alcohol, lighting up the dubs, just an effing raging party right now for progressives. And it's not because Joe Biden's so great. It's because Donald Trump got defeated. And even though Trump is leaving, Trumpism isn't going anywhere. And that level of deep ignorance and hatred could very easily become the president again, even in four years. Victories are, are temporary at best. And I think people, it's, ne- it's never just a win-lose situation. People really need to take stock of what this means Before we get to the next congressional election, which happens in two years, and then another presidential election in four years. Because you won right right now, progressives. But Donald Trump just won four years ago. And he could win again in four years. We need to get a handle on this. And although I am disappointed that people aren't motivated by the same things that motivate me, I hope that we'll take inventory will take stock of this information and do something with it i say something to people all the time and uh i'm waiting to be challenged on it um i've not been challenged to this point uh <laughs> and maybe i will maybe i won't but let me let me tell you what i say okay 
People say, how how you feel about the election? Pretty good. I was pretty excited. You're pretty ecstatic, huh? Well, I've already told you my whole wet blanket theory on the election. But I will say, well, I'll tell you this. It is nice to have a president that is not calling people, excuse my French here, um, to have a president that is not calling people fat asses and retards. I say that. Okay. But here's the thing. Um, and people just go, ha ha. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. That's a, like, that's a good thing. That's a good thing where the president's not going to be saying those kinds of things either in person or on his Twitter account. Right. But here's the thing. Even this president has never called anybody those words specifically ever. But the president has been so poisonous over the last number of years that it is not unheard of for us to think of him calling people those words, uh, a fat ass or a retard. I, I apologize about the language, but I, I do things like this um, to shock the system and to get people to really think about um, the kind of people that we are, are um, picking to represent us. So there was a story that came out this week about uh, the, the Tyson, so you know the Tyson chicken plant, um, had a huge COVID outbreak over the last number of months. Uh, there was an investigation that happened uh, to get to the bottom of what happened uh, and why and to what degree um, that outbreak happened at that particular plant, uh, working conditions and all the rest. And what we know now is that um, the higher-ups, the people in the front office, the owners, um, the more executives, the more executive managerial types. Um, at, so they, they took people from the floor and made them managers because they knew. They knew that COVID was going to spread far. It was going to spread fast. People were going to get sick and that people were going to die. So rather than the managers being on the floor themselves, they promoted people from the floor, floor workers, to manager positions and then had them watch the people that are actually doing the processing in the meatpacking plant. And then, and this is real, and we know this now through an investigation, and then they took bets. The managers took bets on how many people would get sick, who would get sick, how sick would they get? And of course, took bets on whether or not they would die. For all the folks that are protesting that we need to get back to work right now, that we've all decided that we're, we're cool without getting a second stimulus, and I believe that we've collectively as a country said that, yeah, we're cool with not getting another stimulus. And how do I know that? Well, because we just put a bunch of conservatives in office that'll make goddamn sure that you do not get another stimulus. And to make it all the more worse, um, not only are they against this, not only are your conservatives against the stimulus, there's no way that they're going to give this to, to the new president, to Joe Biden. There's no way. So for those of you out there that are aching uh, for that second stimulus, uh, another wet blanket moment here, you're not going to get it. And if you get it, it's not going to be much at all. See, the biggest thing that the conservatives are pushing for in the second stimulus right now is not to give you money. The thing that they want to be in the second stimulus is two things. They want monster, massive tax breaks for the top 1%, for the factory owners, 
for the yacht owners, for the private jet, for the private jet club. The other thing that they want is blanket immunity for those companies so that if anybody inside their workplace gets sick or dies, they can't be held accountable. Yeah. And those are the people that we just sent, not just to Congress, but back to Congress. So the thing that happened at Tyson is horrifying if you don't know corporate culture, but if you do, it's the kind of thing that happens all the time. See, you really don't mean anything to your boss and you are expendable. Um, there was an article in ARS Technica about how robots. Now, I've, I've been talking about automation for a long time. So in the next 10 years, we're going to have so many things that are going to be automated. It's going to replace and displace a lot of people. And for some industries, I figured they wouldn't be all that affected. Uh, truck driving was one of them. I know it will be affected eventually, but I didn't think it'd be af affected anytime soon, really. Of course, I'm changing my mind on that with the self-driving trucks. Um, but the other thing, the thing I read in Aris Technica is all the robots that are showing up on job sites now to cut lumber or to dig ditches or to hang drywall. Uh, they're faster, uh, eventually cheaper, uh, more efficient than human beings. They don't get sick. They don't need vacation time. And so I'm going to try to bring you every week a little more and a little more and a little more. And hopefully, hopefully enough folks will get it there. Their House members, uh, their Senate, um, and definitely in the incoming president uh, about how we need to have some sort of a jobs or retraining program, a basic minimum income, something. Because American workers are about to get wiped out. And this is going to be a surprise for a lot of people when it happens over the next decade. But if you're here now and you're hearing me, it shouldn't be a surprise to you. You're going to have to call your House members. You're going to have to call your senators. And definitely the White House comment line as soon as it opens once we get the new president seated. Many of you may have heard the story about Wanda Dench. Wanda um, is a grandma. Back in 2016, she was 59 years old when she accidentally texted Jamal Hinton and asked, because she thought it was one of her grandkids, asked if he was going to come over for Thanksgiving. He then pointed out, I'm probably not who you're trying to reach, but do you mind if I come over for Thanksgiving? And she said, yes, yes. Wanda Dent said to Jam Jamal Hinton, yes, you can come uh, have Thanksgiving with us because I'm, a, you know, I'm a grandma. I'm, I'm take care of everybody. And that's, that's what I do. And uh, Jamal has been having Thanksgiving with the Denches, Wanda and Lonnie Dench every year. For the past, what, so it's 2016. So this would be the fifth one this year. It's 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. The thing that was different about this year is uh, now when Jamal comes over, Jamal is now 21 and he's got a girlfriend. I believe she's a fiance. You know, so grandma's gotten to watch him grow up pretty good, um, even though she's not his biological grandma. Uh, but Wanda had Thanksgiving dinner this year with Jamal and his girlfriend and not Lonnie. Um, 
Wanda's husband, Lonnie, died of COVID-19 this year. We I remember hearing this story back in 2016. Just loved it. Loved the way this came together. Loved the fact that they still have Thanksgiving every year. Loved that this is likely going to be one of those lifelong relationships. You know, between these two people, have no reason to know each other. Oh, Jamal's black and um, Wanda, Lonnie, white. And when I hear things like this, I go, I just, I, I love these kinds of uh, human connection stories. And then I heard Lonnie unnecessarily died from COVID-19. We still have the worst death toll in the world. The worst per capita death toll in the world. Um, put it like this, uh, up until election day, we lost about, or we had about 12 million people get infected with COVID-19. So over about a seven month, eight month period, we had 12 million people get COVID-19. Uh, before election day, we're supposed to get another 8 million people infected. So the rate at which people are getting infected is doubling. So this is a perfect time to take a COVID case in front of the new Supreme Court, where, where now John Roberts is considered a moderate. Thanks in large part to Amy COVID Barrett, there was a ruling at the Supreme Court that you cannot tell churches to shut down or to limit the amount of people that come in there to worship, even if it spreads COVID, even if people get sick, and even if people die. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your pro-life conservative party. And I get upset at these kinds of rulings, especially since uh, there, there are, I mean, Donald Trump should have never gotten, should have never won the election, should have never won the election. And the fact that he did, and he got to put three people who will make terrible, terrible decisions for the next several decades just eats me alive. But this COVID one, as much as I don't want to get sick, I don't want anyone to know, I, I know or love to get sick. This COVID one, I've just thrown my hands up. If y'all want to get sick, y'all want to die. That's completely up to you. I'm going to do what I can, what I have to, to make sure that I and mine are safe. But if you religious people so badly want to get sick and effing die that you're suing to get sick and die. I have to let you have this one. And it's not about religious freedom. You know it's not about religious freedom. It's got nothing to do with religious freedom. A word of encouragement before I leave, before I leave you, before I return you to your life. With the amount of people that are anticipated to get sick over the next number of weeks and months. So I'm looking at maybe six to eight weeks where we're going to have a lot of people getting sick, a lot of people dying. And we'll probably have half a million dead by the end of the year. Uh, put, put To put that into context, we're at about 263, 265 uh, right now to get to half a million dead people. It's, it is going to be, as Dr. Fauci referred to it, a very dark winter. So I don't know what your plans are. Hopefully you did not get together with a big crowd for Thanksgiving. We didn't. Uh, hopefully you're not getting together with family. Um, 
or at the very least, really limiting the size because you don't need to become one of these statistics. This is not just the flu. Um, even if you get sick and you get better, you are never, ever really over it. And you now have a pre-existing condition and are very likely going to lose your health insurance because, yep, that's the world that we've chosen that we want to live in. But please, take care of yourself. Be safe. Don't do anything dumb. Wash your hands. Wear your mask. And be kind to those around you, please. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here on the fire you can't put out. My official home is tfycpo.podbay.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash tfycpo. Questions, comments, hate mail, just a general statement of recruit. You can email us at tfycpo at gmail.com. We work hard to not only inform and entertain, but also to keep an open dialogue with you, our base. So thank you for listening. We are the fire you can't put out, and we will prevail. Rejecting austerity in favor of prosperity. Special thanks to Kevin for producing, and thank you for listening. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Hope your Christmas and New Year's are just as joyful and not full of sickness and death. <laughs> just trying to be inspiring here. This is Melvin signing off, and now that I've woke you up, Good morning.